Welcome back to Waiting for Christ, our reading of St. John Henry Newman for Advent and Christmas season, based on the book that uh, Dr. Christopher Bloom of the Augustine Institute has put together. And we are in week three of Advent, which I don't understand how every year that surprises me, that yet another week has passed and they seem to pass more quickly. Uh, This is Mike Christie here with uh, Carlos Tejeda, Father Dominic Rankin, and Sister Veritas Wilkes. Hello. And uh, and Sister joins us by the wonders of technology direct from the convent today. So um, so we had a reading in St. John Henry Newman, I think it was the first week of Advent, about how we talk about somebody when they're here versus not here, mm. right? So we, we, have a, <laughs> yeah, we have a tremendous opportunity today um, once, the, once the mics are no longer hot, Sister. Right. Okay, so last week, just to, to re- recap, a few of the themes that we, that we talked about, fear of heights, walking among the precipices, uh, and the sort of reluctance and how that tied to the prior week's conversation about venture and adventure uh, and our reluctance to, you know, um, venture out, uh, as Father Dominic said last week, to, to venture out and, and invest everything uh, in the adventure of the faith. We talked about language and reality, objective truth, and uh, Carlos's observations about the confusion of what we can and can't say and what our words mean and don't mean and, and the relative insanity of all that. We talked about calling, vocation with a capital V, with a little v, and the little ways in which we're called day by day, moment by moment, and the bigger ways that we're called and how we respond to those things. So just a few themes from last week. I suspect at least a couple of those, as we've seen through the threads, will we'll continue to pull us through into this third week of Advent and uh, St. John Henry Newman's reflections. Carlos, what struck you this week? Yeah, December 17th, uh, page 77, a good chunk of the bottom three quarters. He's um, delineating sort of a pendulum was in my mind's eye of the ways that we can think, we can get into a rut or a misinterpretation of what a good Christian life would look like, and it would be basically dismissing our work and the stuff of daily life. And uh, I definitely saw myself in the oscillations or the tendencies, um, particularly early in life, and uh, was reminded uh, in an energizing way of a line from Bishop Barron again of the I mean, it's not totally exclusive to him, but that joy is a sure sign of the Holy Spirit, and how, just how true that is, and um, how off-putting it is. Uh, Pope Francis, I think, has a, a powerful line about, um, like, as Christians, we ought not to be uh, like people returning from a funeral or uh, like <laughs> yeah. sourpuss faces. <laughs> and I think it's Catherine of Siena that says, you know, preserve us, Lord, from sour saints and that sort of thing. Uh, so that was all coming to mind. And then uh, Father Spitzer's work with uh, levels of happiness, mm-hmm. like um, yeah. like a, a full proclamation of the gospel. Can't It's not prudishness. It's not uh, uh, fundamentalism or, you know, it's it can incorporate the fact that a steak tastes good and that uh, marital intimacy is a, an extraordinary thing all the way uh, to leaving a legacy 
and um, actually setting goals and accomplishing them. All of those have a place in the Christian life, and uh, none of it can be dismissed. There's a lot in what you just said. One of the things that strikes me immediately is uh, week one, we had a conversation about rightly ordered desires and sort of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. of goods. Mm -hmm. And so in the language that you're using, Carlos, I don't know how intentional it is, but you know, this, this sense that uh, there, there are natural goods, you know, that God created the world and it was good, right? Mm-hmm. And it's for us to enjoy. But at the same time, there's that risk that our desires become disordered or, you know, we, we kind of misprioritize the, the goods and put one good ahead of another inappropriately or become attached to certain things. So it's interesting because this particular passage is focused on kind of the opposite of of being joyless, mm-hmm. right? And and not, you know, there's a there's sort of a you know, there's a faithlessness, I guess, and sort of not appreciating the goodness of these created things. I always loved an image that C. S. Lewis gives. Um, I think that I think the little poem or reflection is like it's like a, a page long but it's like it's called the reflections on a tool shed or reflections in a tool shed or something like that. So it's evidently him sitting in this like, you know, shed out back with tools and he's looking and he notices there's like a little crack between the boards and a sunbeam is shooting through it. And he says, there's two ways to look at the sunbeam. You can look at it as, okay, it's the means of illuminating all the stuff in the shed. Or you can look down the sunbeam towards the source of light, which is the sun. Hmm. And his, his point is like in the world, we do both of those things. But the trick is to not get so distracted and like, you know, uh, consumed by the tools in the shed that we miss the fact that the sun is, you know, gleaming outside, so to speak. Um, and that, you know, the reason that we can see and use these tools is precisely because his light is, you know, God's light is shining. Um, I think it's a, it's a helpful image when we're going through our, our day to day stuff of like, yeah, we can have particular joys in the world, but to look down along those kind of, uh, experiences of joy, to see the, the one that gives the joy in the end. I think, um, Carlos, just to pick up on your comment, jumping ahead to the, the next day this week, December 18th on page 81, it's this kind of two-part you know, discussion that he yeah. has about kind of faith in the world and, and kind of living out the faith in the concrete reality of our life, doing so joyfully. And in the middle of that page 81, there's this, uh, there's this passage, the true contemplation of that Savior lies, lies in his worldly business. That is, as Christ is seen in the poor and in the persecuted and in children, so is he seen in the employment which he puts upon his chosen, whatever they may be. You know, that attending to our daily duties, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, and in, in, in other parts of this two-part, you know, um, passage that he's written, there's this kind of um, temptation toward this false spirituality, this detachment from the world that's not a healthy detachment, but kind of a rejection, and a failure to, you know, kind of joyfully live as the incarnate Lord did, right, mm-hmm. in the reality um, of, you know, of our own kind of incarnation and the circumstances that he's put us in. And I hear echoes, actually, of St. Jose Maria yeah, in this. Yeah, for sure. Right, and, the, and sort of the— Daily duties. And, yeah, and St. John Paul, too, as well, the dignity of, of, of work, work, of human work. Sister, did you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I would love to. I was just thinking in this, um, in the reading that Carlos commented on, it brings to mind to me the idea of balance, 
And I think that was kind mm. of a theme over all the readings this week um, without using the word balance, but just balance between different ends of, you know, the opposing ends of different extremes and that are we of the world or in the world? And is it about, is it about all spiritual things and about our relationship with God? Or is it about the, the people and the duties that are right in front of us? Well, the answer is always both. And we have to be attentive to both things. And um, there was one, one reading where um, it was just talking about this idea of these people who can get, they get so convinced that the only thing that is important to be is to be about spiritual things, but they yes. almost go too far off the other end, mm-hmm. you know, and then they, they disdain the people who aren't talking about spiritual things or the, the mm-hmm. mundane things of daily life. And that's, that's too far in the other direction too, because God put us here and now for a reason in this world. And Jesus himself came into this world and lived amongst these things and for most of his life on earth was about the everyday things. Well, and that word disdain that you highlight sort of captures it, right? It's it's this um, rejection of the created world, this rejection of the relationships and the context into which we've been placed if, as if we're somehow better than that or above mm-hmm. it or, or something like that. I think you're referencing still December 17th, Sister. It's, the, it's a couple pages in, page 78 there. Oh, that's and, right, yes. And... It brings to mind, in my mind, a, a particular writing of Jose Maria, which is where he speaks about the proper love of the world. And it seems like an odd way to state it, because <laughs> Christians usually are like, no, the, the world is passing away, you know, and, and these things aren't lasting. And yet, there's a proper way to enjoy, love, appreciate, like devote ourselves uh, to worldly things. Uh, Newman says, bad as it is to be languid and indifferent in our secular duties and to account this religion— this is the person who chooses religion and says, well, then I can slack off from all these other mm-hmm. extraneous things, right? Yet it is far worse to be slaves of this world and to have our hearts in the concerns of this world. So there's the two side, like the two pitfalls on either side of the, the right road. And then Newman continues, and it's great. But surely it is possible to serve the Lord and yet not be slothful in business, not overdevoted to it, but not to retire from it. We may do all things whatever we are about to God's glory. We may do all things heartily as to the Lord and not to man, being both active yet meditative. It's that it's, he's saying that like striking that balance is to follow God well, you know, Mm -hmm. and to struggle every day to do it. But there's, it's not like, oh, this balance is, this balancing act is, you know, outside of God's plan. If, if only I was, you know, following the Lord, then I wouldn't have to worry about this, these things. Like, no, you'd have to, you know, Jesus had to, um, and we, we follow after him. I'm interested, sister, in your perspective on this, because I think at times, maybe this is stereotypical, maybe it is kind of (laughs) a natural phenomenon, but, you know, there's the stereotype that men are kind of, you know, uh, linear and file folders, you know, and we kind of partition (laughs) things, right? And so we see this this tension and this balance, and we don't want to multitask that. Right. We just kind of want, is it this or is it yeah. that? We're like, can I devote the morning to spiritual things and the afternoon <laughs> to practical things? Like, how can we split this up more uh, effectively? Right. Am, I, am I being unfair on that? No, I don't think so. I would honestly think that you guys probably more, we just struggle in opposite ways in general as men and women. I would think that, yeah, you're like, okay, I need to be more unified in all the aspects of my life. Like maybe it's not so much a file folder, but I'm still a Christian while I'm at work, et cetera, et cetera. But I think my experience as a woman, and I think other women would share this with me, is that we go too far the other way. Mm. And we're like, okay, but it's okay to stop thinking about that for a while and be attentive to this thing. And 
I don't have to be worried about this particular aspect of my relationship with God all day long at work. And I don't have to be thinking at work while I'm trying to pray. So there's a little, there is a balance to be had. And I think we come at it from two different extremes. And just as I'm talking, this makes me think just another aspect of the complementarity of men and women and how, you know, in a family, a, a married couple can help balance each other out and learn from each other. And together as a couple, they kind of come to that, that balance and impart that to their children. And that's just what I think. Well, these words, balance is another one that keeps mm-hmm. coming up. And I'm listening to you guys reflecting on this and thinking, okay, this, I, to some extent, I was wrestling with what does this have to do with Advent? When I mm-hmm. read the, these, this kind of part of this week in particular, the two-part passage on um, kind of faith in the world, what does that have to do with Advent? Well, now listening to you guys reflect everything, right? So this mm-hmm. this time of you know, busyness and, and this tension and, and you, you know, I don't know, hopefully we reflect on it a bit, but, you know, getting wrapped up in the busyness and the activity of life during Advent where all the normal things, you know, that baseline keeps going, which is already pretty busy. And now a whole bunch of other stuff gets added on top of it. And it's, Mm -hmm. and then you, you know, I often find myself pulling back and saying, you know, all this activity is it distracting from, you know, the quote unquote true meaning of Christmas, right? Which is the spiritual side. And this is a great interpretive key to that, right? So maybe, you know, maybe it does. Maybe some of the activity is is kind of a busyness and a worldliness and all that. But at the same time, you know, maybe if we're doing it in the right way with the right mindset, it's a little bit of a dying to self during Advent in a sense. And, uh, and the spiritual sense of that can be kind of integrated into what we're into what we're doing, but that balance between, you know, the spiritual, we should be having a spiritual experience of readying ourselves for the coming of Christ in the incarnation at the same time that we're, you know, kind of wrestling with all this uh, additional activity seems fitting. Mm-hmm. It, it actually falls right into a bit of a reflection that this brought out of me. Um, earlier in the week, he speaks a lot about obedience. Mm. And obedience mm-hmm. to our duties, I think, mm. is the first place that he, he goes with it. But then he, he speaks about it as that's the action of faith. That's the place we're going to encounter Christ. That was where, for me, it sort of struck home in terms of this being an Advent message, is that it's in the day-to-day stuff that we're doing that we actually hear the voice of God and recognize his presence. You know, he doesn't, he's not in a manger in Bethlehem, we can go and pick him up and carry him around as he was 2,000 years ago. Um, but we can pick up the daily tasks, you know, that are that are there to, to do and to carry out and recognize him in a more subtle, more hidden, um, more humble way. I love, uh, I love on December 14th, back a few days now, page 65, Newman says, As the sunshine implies that the sun is in the heavens, though we may not see it. As a knocking at our door at night implies the presence of one outside in the dark who asks for admittance. So this word within us, he's speaking here of the conscience and that prodding towards, you know, do your duty, do the right thing. Um, So this word within us not only instructs us up to a certain point, but necessarily raises our mind to the idea of a teacher, an unseen teacher. It's a tremendous argument for God's existence and God's presence is everybody has that inside interior mm-hmm. voice that says, go this way, you know, mm-hmm. not that way. Do this thing, don't do that. You know, like this is more important. Uh, this is what you're called to be and to do. And he connects that with the voice of God and says, 
you couldn't, you can't, you know, tangibly hold on to it and say, this is the word he said, or this is, you know, uh, how he sounds. And yet, there's that prodding and that feeling of, and I'm held accountable by someone to live my life well. Why is that? Well, it's because God, God wants us to live our lives well and to, yeah, find joy in, in doing so. You know, at the same time, in the, you know, I don't remember exactly where in this passage it was, but it was in here somewhere. It's kind of the idea that conscience and true light is the voice of God, but there's also this risk that we get it mixed up with our own sort of desires yeah. and movement of the heart, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The language on uh, bottom page 66, like third to last sentence, um, the voice of conscience has nothing gentle, nothing of mercy in its tone. It is severe and even stern. It does not speak of forgiveness, but of punishment. Like that was... How's that go over in our current culture? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you know, St. John Paul II writes about the con- the first movement of the Holy Spirit in interacting with the conscience is conviction of sin. Hmm. Right? That first, you know, the... the and. You know, I think similarly, um, you know, kind of the, the St. Ignatius spiritual exercises, discernment of spirit, right? When you're, when you're on a path of away from God, you know, towards sin, your experience of conscience is what Carlos just described, right? Its first movement is correction of error, not because you're quote-unquote being judged, which is a, you know, that's a dogma of our culture, right? Thou shalt not judge. Right. Um, you know, it is not, and that's kind of wrapped up in this, it's actually not me judging Carlos. It's not Carlos judging himself. It's his conscience applying, you know, the, God's principles to his own unique situation. So, yeah, interesting. Now, here again, I come to, okay, what does that have to do with Advent, right? So, you know, in light of this you know, maybe there's a self-consciousness and awareness of needing to kind of wrestle with these things, needing God's grace to help discern these things, to kind of separate what might be my own ideas of happiness versus God's ideas of happiness for me, uh, helping with this idea of balance and discerning this appropriate engagement with the world versus attachment to it. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that struck me throughout all these readings was, I can't do that on my own. <laughs> I I cannot, you know, and I've I've struggled for a long time with big decisions and discernment to try to, you know, kind of purify my my discernment, my intent, and you know, discerning God's will in that. And I just recognize there's too much of me in it, messing it up, right? So we need God's grace to to kind of help us with that. I wonder if John the Baptist offers us a, a good way to bring these things together. We Obviously, certainly hear from a lot from we heard and about hear him. A, a lot about year, him right? in Advent uh, because he's the like keystone figure of preparing the way for the Lord, right? All the Gospels speak of him as like the one in the, in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, you know, make straight his paths, the valleys, you know, be raised, the mountains made low. And I think that's what all of this is getting at is how do we day by day kind of work on our hearts to make them ready to receive the Lord. That's what Advent is for, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. more than any other season, is opening our hearts, opening our eyes, making us prepared and and ready, you know, waiting well um, that Christ's presence can be, you know, recognized and can be received. It's not something, yeah, again, um, not everybody saw the baby Jesus. Like, they weren't ready to hear that message or weren't 
around to see it. You know, they were too busy or were too occupied or whatever. Uh, Newman is speaking to us and saying, finding that right balance is precisely the, the road, you know, the, 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 the level path upon which the, you know, Christ, our, our Savior, can approach us. You know, we make ourselves open to his, to his coming. And I was actually reflecting on a lot of these things that really stuck out to me also, like Father was the idea of obedience yeah, and the mm-hmm. conversion of heart that we're called to. And, you know, for me as a religious sister, we take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So that's something that we reflect on a lot, and it's often misunderstood by the world. Like, well, you just enter the comment, and you just do whatever other people tell you to do, and you don't use your own brain anymore. And, you know, that's something that you really – they really try to teach you and form you in information is that that's not what obedience means. Mm. It means a, it means allowing your heart to be converted to being open to listening and trying to understand so that your heart can become in line with the heart of your superiors in your community. And so that your heart can want what they want and you can understand what they would do in a certain situation. And, Again, not that you lose your own mind or your own will or your own desires, but that your desires are are converted and purified and raised up to higher goods. And as religious, we we believe that to do the will of our superiors, obviously, unless, you know, if there's a matter of conscience, if your superior tells you to do something that is inherently evil, you obviously shouldn't do it. But all other things aside, to follow the will of your superior, even when you don't understand it. Um, and while you're waiting for your heart to be converted is to know and to do the will of God, because that's where God called us. So in some sense, if you, for those who are really trying to follow the Lord, it can almost seem like a little bit easier and big things. Sometimes you, you don't necessarily always have to know the answer. You just have to know that you are honest with your superiors and then in the end you do what they ask you. Well, it's a, there's an interesting analogy to family life as well. So I think for, mm-hmm. for Carlos and, and for me, for fathers and mothers out there, one of one of the ways to understand our, our role in, as parents, one of our first duties is to help our children grow in virtue, obedience among them, that through their learning obedience to us, through their le- learning of obedience you know, from us, they learn obedience to the Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that obedience, um, you know, and it goes back to the garden, rebellion against God is fundamentally what sin is, right? I think actually St. John Henry Newman writes that somewhere. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the idea that all sin is essentially rebellion against God. So the opposite of that is obedience. Uh, so mm-hmm. this theme of obedience and, and learning and growing in obedience did not strike me when I read it, read the, you know, the readings for this week, but listening to you guys talk about it, clearly it's, it's here and it's part of maybe what St. John Henry Newman is trying to guide us toward is, Mm -hmm. you know, in preparing for the coming of Christ and preparing for Christmas, we're preparing to meet him, you know, at our final judgment. Mm -hmm. And obedience is part of that pathway. Yeah. And I think just to bring it down to a real practical level, a lot of people might be thinking, okay, well, how do I know every day? Am I being obedient to God? And I think it goes back to what we were saying about conscience earlier. And like Father said, you're not necessarily going to know a a clear like black and white go do this right now but to to make sure that you're having those times of prayer and that's one of the gifts of advent i think to call us back to a stillness and a slowness and a, a reflection on our life and on a relationship with christ but to every day take that time to ask yourself what does god want of me 
to to take some time with scripture and because through the reading of scripture your heart and your mind are slowly transformed to be in union with the heart and mind of christ and on page 69 um newman quotes romans 12 2 where saint paul says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and that just happens slowly every day through scripture through prayer through going to mass but also through consciously asking yourself did i do what god wanted me to do today and no judgment not to make yourself feel bad but just to acknowledge how can i improve how can i be closer to god's grace and then god what do you want me to do tomorrow what do you want me to do today it's not always going to be black and white but you can tell i think this where is you're finding peace and yeah and i think sister you're onto something important to clarify in our culture when we we talk about conscience and even in the catholic world we talk about forming consciences you know forming our conscience means understanding God, God's wills, God, God's ways, and applying them to our circumstances. It doesn't mean figuring out and rationalizing, which I think, you know, Newman refers to in some of these readings that we tend to rationalize what we want to do and call that forming our conscience as opposed <laughs> to, you know, spending time in Scripture and in prayer and understanding God's will, discerning that, and applying it to our circumstances. That's That strikes me as the battle. Okay. Well, we yeah. we uh, once again. St. Paul finishes us yeah, off. <laughs> one, one, once again, we can uh, we can go on all day um, and probably will. Uh, but for the sake of the recording, we'll wrap it up. Father, would you send us forth with your blessing? Of course, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your call this day, for your presence to us and your grace within us. We ask that we might be faithful in following after you and might. Learn the ways of of seeing our lives and seeing our world uh, as you do. We thank you for all the many gifts and joys and blessings that you've given us. We ask you to prepare us well for the coming of your Son, especially as we celebrate Christmas. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, callers. Thank you, sister. We'll be back next week.